0: Real Goddess Discovering Your Divine Destiny by Cherie Sandel. Episode 2 Anxiously Engaged or Anxiety. Real Goddess is the most important thing you can know about in your life. And because I believe it so strongly, my goal is to awaken one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny. A wise man said that in this current day and age, women will be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways, and that a large gathering of women will rise up in strong numbers, dividing the wicked from the good. And I'm here to rope you in, sister. There used to be a time where I did not know the difference. I didn't know that I was an anxious person. It was just my regular world of trying to be better or to do it right or to follow the rules, which ended up being overwhelming. And I went to a therapist for my son, for help with my son. And the therapist told me that I was an anxiety candidate. And I thought, oh no, not me, not me. I, I know what I'm doing. I am fine. I don't have problems. But as I went to various therapists thereafter, I found out that I was actually a highly anxious person as I learned how to let go of the anxiety and the difference that I felt in my calm new world. I could tell that there definitely was a difference. So there were a few things that had to happen in even recognizing anxiety. Some people will write out, say, oh, yes, I'm an anxious person. Oh, yes, I have anxiety. But how do they even know that if they've always been that way? Maybe some of these people had definite times where they could tell that they were an anxious person. But for me, it just seemed to escalate and just be the norm for me. So first of all, is to recognize the anxious emotions all around. Second of all, I've learned how to rise above the storm and see it whirling below me. So just even noticing it whirl below me allows me to rise above it And instead witness it, instead of be a part of it. And then I found myself being willing to be placed in the middle of the storm, but in the eye of the storm where it's calm. And I find that I am fine in the middle. And it's whirling around me because I've chosen to reinsert myself and to move forward in a way that keeps me centered and focused on what really matters. I don't want to get swept back up into the chaos. So I must be selective here. Sometimes I feel the overwhelm and I realize that I must pull again up above the whirl of the chaos below me. And I do so and I set everything aside. I just say, I don't need to do anything. I really don't have to do anything. I can sit here and I can be a lump of clay doing nothing and that is okay. And the sooner I allow myself that freedom to do nothing, The more able I am ready to reinsert myself into the world, which seems opposite because you would think that you just want to stay there, which sometimes that is the desire. But then there's also this yearning that we have to be able to feel a sense of accomplishment. And if you're sitting there as the lump of clay, you don't get that sense of accomplishment. So there is a push forward that happens that once you allow yourself to just do nothing, you can say, okay, now I can reinsert myself At this time and I think I can do it and then next I know that life is a mix of anxious and calm so we don't need to invite things of anxiety willingly because life already provides that unless you're living in a bubble life is going to produce anxious moments how we respond to it is how our mental capacity will flow with us so I don't need to push myself needlessly and that's what anxiously engaged meant to me was that I just have to push myself without limits and just keep pushing and keep pushing until burnout and burnout's not a good place to be because then other people have to take care of you. So I've had to learn how to stay anxiously engaged and do much of my own free will to bring to pass good and that doesn't mean I have to do everything or be everything. So then as I throw away what doesn't serve me, I see people all around me who haven't figured that out. They just keep taking more on. They just keep more plates spinning in the air. They just keep piling on the responsibilities and feeling like that is what they have to do and what they need to do. But as I said, if there is something that I don't seem to be able to get rid of because I feel like I need that for a sense of accomplishment, then first of all, I sit with that emotion And see how it is or is not serving me. And if it's like a pride kind of a thing where I will look good if I do this or my family or some other group will look good if I do this, then I know that I'm doing it for the wrong reason. So I sit with emotions of the things that I'm trying to let go of that cause anxiety and decide if it really is something that I need. And I'm probably going to say this more than this time But there was a time where I gave up my volleyball and I love volleyball. Volleyball just creates a passion in me that is just so fun to just dive for the ball and to hit the ball and to get really cool hits over that you didn't think you could get the ball over and you'd get it over. There came a time where I had more anxiety than it was worth it even though I was loving it. I had to decide that the anxiety was greater than the benefit of the volleyball and I came home feeling worse and I decided to let go of that. And then re it in terms that worked for me. And sometimes one way to look at this is to actually push it over an edge out of sight into a useless area. Like maybe even just pushing it away into the dark. Um, one way to think of this of getting rid of some of those things that cause anxiety is when I clean my house, I have three decluttering boxes. And I go around a room in a clockwise direction, and I have these three boxes in the middle of the room or close to where I'm working, and one of them is the giveaway, one of them is the put-away, and one of them is the throw-away. So in my mind, I have the giveaway box or the throw-away, depending on how much it's bothering me, that I mentally declutter and just push it into that box. Or even more effectively, is just handing it to the Savior, just saying, here you go, I know you can handle this, I know you've already suffered for this thing for me, or you can handle it in a way that I can't, so here you go. And when you give things to the Lord, He gives back what you can handle. It's like that scripture that says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That doesn't mean that I can do all things, that means that I can do all things that strengthen me through Christ. So that means getting rid of some of the things and he will gladly take it. He gladly take the things that cause us anxiety. Sometimes it's like I'm sweeping up a dustpan because it simply isn't serving me whatever I'm sweeping up and discard it because it's not part of the goddess track. When you have that eternal perspective of, oh, now let's see, how is this helping me or not helping me? My daughter likes to say, will this really matter in a year? And if it doesn't matter in a year, then just get rid of it. Just sweep it away. Don't let it stop you. So, like I said, this means getting rid of things that are not useful or figuring out a different way to do it. And then realizing what sacrifice is. I used to think that sacrifice was worthy in every way. Like, if you sacrifice for something, you are always going to get something good back because that's the way that it works. That's the way sacrifice is. But I now realize that sacrifice is giving up something good for something that will maintain our sanity or our calm. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do some hard things because sometimes we do really need to sacrifice for things that don't feel like we're going to get the benefit back. But I've decided that if I think that I can sacrifice something and still maintain my sanity and my calm, then that is okay. If not, it's not worth the sacrifice because it's going to end up biting me in the end. So some of the things I've done for anxiety, I have a level that I know when I get to this level, I need to do something. Uh, if you've heard of your, you know, filling your cup, if you can understand where your cup is full and it's going to start overflowing and not being manageable any longer, like we can handle so much. And when you get to the top of this cup, it's going to spill over and be a problem and that is what I call anxiety. When you can't handle what's at the top level of your cup anymore, it spills over and then it becomes worse things like depression or um, various ways of coping, anger, isolating, whatever your response might be to extra anxious things in your life. So when that cup begins to feel full to me, I know that I need to do something with it. So I have been to therapists before who helped me using EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which helps reprogram your thoughts. So trauma happens on many levels and becomes common in our thoughts as to how this is just how we function. Our thoughts will lead us in how we're going to see a situation. And as I say, that trauma happens on many levels. It could be a small thing, like a pet dying, or hearing that someone's going to happen that sounded like the end of the world, but nothing ever did happen. Sometimes that trauma can actually sit with you and get worse, even though someone else may say it's not that big of a deal. And then, based on this trauma, we'll go into fight, or flight, or freeze, which is numbing for me, or fawn. And fawn is when you'll do anything for somebody because you just need the benefit of them in your life, no matter how destructive it is to yourself. Returning to the EMDR therapy, the way that I can explain this and how it's worked for me is that sometimes we'll feel really scattered in our thoughts and there's only one solution to the scatter. And it's like staring into the corner of a room and that is the only way you can go. And It's blocked, but that's the only way that you can go. So you just keep heading in this direction that has no out and What EMDR will do is it helps you to see different perspectives and different angles and different Ways out so it's not just into a corner. You can look up. You can look down. You can look behind There are many different ways to look another way of seeing it explained is that let's say you have a shelf And your family stores cereal on this shelf, cereal boxes. And if they're like my family, they might just toss it in there and cram it in there and have some on the top and some sideways and diagonal and some just squished in. But what EMDR therapy does is it helps you to be able to see how to put all those boxes in a line in a straight, organized way so that in the future, when your brain comes upon trauma, it can organize it and make sense of it and see different perspectives and a different way out. The person who developed EMDR therapy is Francine Shapiro. And she said that through some of her discovering this method, one way that she found it out is that she realized how helpful walking was for her. She'd go out in a walk through the neighborhood and uh, her eyes would be shifting back and forth. And you know, just as you do in your environment, looking for cracks in the sidewalk or stray animals or, uh, rocks, you know, whatever it might be in your path, your eyes are shifting back and forth as you walk. And she noticed that she always felt better after a walk. So then she started to realize that as your eyes move back and forth, it helps your brain transfer information from the right to the left to the right back and forth. And it was helpful to her. So she started this therapy it's developed to a point where you can just hold paddles and even close your eyes but just going back and forth you're holding these little vibrating paddles back and forth that will go from one to the next from one hand to the next depending on the intensity or speed that you prefer it will get your brain accessing right left right left back and forth and you'll be able to process things more smoothly so even if you can't do emdr therapy Taking a walk is really therapeutic because you are sorting out those thoughts. I had one mentor explain to me the seven-minute walk. And with this, what you do is, let's say you're really riled up about something. So you're going to walk seven minutes in one direction. For me, this is about a half a mile or a little more than that. So you walk for that seven minutes thinking about that thing that's really bothering you. And then after about seven minutes, or if it's really, really bothering you, keep going longer. Then you turn around and come back for that seven minutes or however long it takes. And just even the shift of turning back and coming back where you've already been on your walk, you start to see things in a new perspective. And it's amazing how it shifts so quickly to, well, let's see, what am I learning from this? What is the positive thing from this? What is the bonus, the good thing in this thing? What am I learning? What am I getting from it? And I start to go the other direction and I get home back from that walk feeling much better. It's pretty amazing. So even just walking is both physically good and mentally good. There's also another uh, therapy that I've really liked that is really just a thought therapy that is so simple, it's almost silly, but it has helped me a lot. And this is from another one of my mentors. She will explain it as being, you have a circumstance Let's have the circumstance that your husband says to you that you are not doing enough, that you're not cleaning enough, that you're not being there for the kids enough, that you're not cooking enough, that you're not doing the jobs that he thinks you should be doing well enough. The circumstance must be something that's provable in a court of law. So you can't say for the circumstance, my husband is unhappy with me, unless He said the words that could be proven in the court of law, I am unhappy with you. So if he has said, I am unhappy with you, that's what you can put down. My husband says he is unhappy with me. If not, you must say, my husband comes home from work and I am not working. Okay, that is proven in the court of law. I am not cleaning the house. I am not making dinner. I am not taking care of the kids. And then the next thing is your thought what is your thought? So let's say that he hasn't actually said that he thinks you're not doing enough. Your thought then would be, I believe that he thinks that I'm not doing enough and that I am not feeling my responsibility. Then you go to the feeling part of it. The feeling is, I feel bad that I am not measuring up to his expectations. Then what would your action be? Your action is that you might hurry up and respond with taking care of the dinner, taking care of the kids, whatever it might be. So your action is going to be a responsive, reactive action. And then we go to the results. Well, the results is that you don't feel very good in this marriage because of what you feel your husband thinks about you. So now let's go back, and this is all in the name of reducing anxiety, because in this situation, we are feeling anxiety because we feel like we are not measuring up to what we think we're supposed to be doing in a marriage. So now let's go back to the circumstance, and we're going to stick with the idea that our husband comes home from work, and you are not doing anything at that moment. Now, at that moment, you can change your thought. You can say, I have had a busy day with a sick child and I am now relaxing and I don't care what my husband thinks because he hasn't been home taking care of the kids. He hasn't had this opportunity to have a full sink of dishes and laundry that needs to be done and a house that is dirty and overwhelming. And right now I just need to sit. Okay, that can be your thought. Your feeling at this stage could be relief. You could say, good. Husband is home. I can just sit here and do nothing. Your action then would be that you do nothing. And then the result would be perhaps that you take it easy on yourself with some self-compassion. And you're not worrying about getting into his model, as this mentor calls this, that you don't worry about what his thoughts are, because his thoughts might be Let's do a little model for him of the things that we just said. So the circumstances, he comes home from work, he sees his wife sitting there, and she's doing nothing. Now his thought might be, isn't she an angel? Look at her just sitting there. She's so beautiful. She's such an angel. But I don't want her to see my soft side of me, so I'm going to put on a stern look on my face and um, start cleaning up the kitchen she might be thinking that it looks like she hasn't been doing enough when he's thinking i just don't want to look too soft-hearted but i want to help out so i will with a gruff look on my face take care of the kitchen now his feeling might be heroic he might feel good he's thinking i'm taking care of things whereas she might be sitting over there with a possible two reactions that we've talked about one is that she's feeling first of all guilty or sad or whatever it might be that she might feel like she's not doing enough when he gets home or the other scenario was that she was feeling relieved oh yes I can now just enjoy sitting here and he's taking care of things his action would be then after he is taking care of cleaning up the kitchen or whatever for dinner that he is going to continue to help out his wife and then the result Varies, but the result could be that he learns that he needs to help out a little more when he comes home. The result on the downside of her thinking of feeling guilty that she hasn't been there doing it may be that she comes and pushes him out of the way and says, I'll take care of it. I meant to do that hours ago. I'm sorry. Go relax. I know you've had a hard day. Can you see the many ways that this could go? As I've been thinking in these models, it's amazing how when you just put down the circumstance, You can just change it in so many ways and not be in other people's heads and make it a healthier thought process for you so that you don't have to enter anxiety because anxiety is fear and worry that you're not going to do enough. At least that's one of the definitions. So when I can get out of the thinking that doesn't serve me, I can have a lot more self compassion and say, you're doing just fine. And don't you worry about what other people think or say which is not the easiest thing, but it's definitely possible. So let's relate this all to the potential goddess, which is what I love to talk about. The potential goddess would learn how to stay in her own emotions, how to sit with her own emotions, how to see what's happening and not put a negative judgment on it and maintain her calm. She's able to hold exhilaration because she's discriminating with what doesn't matter to hold space for what does and then gives herself lots of compassion and letting go moments to restore equilibrium. Wouldn't you agree that's what a goddess would do? Someone who is on the goddess track and needing to be able to take care of their own world eventually, she would back off. She would have compassion for herself and others And she would be excited about the things that she's doing, which anxiety usually does not create a good excitement, like something that you can be passionate about. She douses the flame of judgment for herself or others towards her because feelers can get in her way, but she doesn't let them. So it's a stepping back, stepping away from a situation and taking away judgments that may not be accurate. And when you begin to take away judgments for others, you take away judgment for yourself and vice versa. When you can be more compassionate with yourself, you're more compassionate with other people because calm in compassionate means with. So you're with passion for yourself or for others. And then this potential goddess proceeds on track with her mission and purpose with both drive and peace. I used to think... That if you didn't have anxiety, you had peace. But what you do have is a positive, passionate drive for the thing that makes your heart stir, that makes your mind excited in a positive way, that creates a a good waking up moment in the morning instead of, I used to wake up in the morning thinking, oh, not another day. How can I handle this? I don't know if I can handle another day. And now my thought is, how am I going to make my dreams come true today in a small way, an ever so small, but barely detectable way? Because when you're able to do the small things, line upon line and precept upon precept, then you bring to pass the great. So let me repeat those steps briefly of what I do when I start to feel anxiety. As soon as I feel the panic of the storm raging around me, one, I see that I am in it. I become aware of what's happening. Two, I rise above and reset. So here I am above looking down on the chaos and I reset my thinking. I clear it away. I take different perspectives, different ways of seeing things. Three, I discard the unnecessary. I say, okay, this is what I don't need. This is what I do need. And I do that from a place of A, looking inside myself, seeing my inner wisdom, and hearing my inner voice that is speaking truth to me, and then B, going with God's spirit in what is correct for me, which may be opposite of what I think for myself, but usually God agrees with what we think for ourselves. And so there's those two markers, myself and God's spirit, to be able to judge whether something is going to be something that I can keep or a change. Four, I reinsert myself in the eye of the storm, so I am still engaged and on mission, yet the anxiety and any chaos retreats wider and away from me as I insert myself back into the storm. So it's interesting to be in the eye of the storm and to barely detect the chaos around, as if it's maybe a mile or many miles away. You know it's there, but you're not a part of it. And finally, with Christ in my focus, with clarity, centeredness, and groundedness, knowing God is at the head, I proceed. And as I said, I take a step forward and then another step again towards making my dreams come true. I hope that you can recognize anxiety in your life and what you can do about it because I believe that anxiety is an epidemic now. I feel it all around. I feel like it's a worldwide condition That people are just in this state of anxiety and I don't believe that God would want us to be there. And the potential goddess needs to learn how to rise above and then be able to be within and prosper. I hope that you will join me on my goal of awakening one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny. And have a great day.